Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Laura Davis, who is uh, one of the best friends of the podcast, one of my best friends in the whole world. She's just put out a new album, so go and buy that. It's called The Bus Show, and you can get it on her website at lauradaviscomedy.com, I think. But Google that and you'll find it. It's really brilliant and interesting, and, of course, we talk about the process of making that and the challenge of recording a comedy special in your cupboard at home and what you have to change when you're playing with uh, a soundscape rather than with the instrument of the audience. Anyway, I think it's a brilliant album. I also really enjoyed this conversation, so I hope you listen to this and then go buy the album and listen to that. Um, If you listen past the credits at the end, there is a bonus track (laughs) called The Monkey Church, um, which is just worth listening to on its own. I'm not sure that it is... Uh, anything like anything you've ever heard before and that's a that's a pretty good guarantee anyway I will stop rambling and let you get on with listening to the podcast I'll do a few plugs now you can skip over them it should take a minute or two um one is of course thank you to my supporters on patreon I'm about to change up the rewards levels um because basically since lockdown began I have been opening up all of the posts I haven't I haven't had anything behind a paywall because everyone's in really hard times right now. The people who have uh, supported me on Patreon, I am so grateful to. It's an incredible thing. It has made it possible for me to continue to work when my industry doesn't exist, um, when stand-up comedy isn't available to anybody, and I have been able to have the freedom to continue to make things and to figure out what works um, entirely due to the support of Patreon people, both in a financial and like an emotional sense. Just knowing that you believe in what I'm doing is incredible, incredible. Of course, we are now in times where you may not be able to support or may not want to support me financially. Um, Just share my stuff around. That makes a massive difference. Word of mouth for Tea with Alice for the last post, um, for Savage on Amazon Prime, for the trilogy, for any of the things of mine that you like, that is the thing. That's the thing that keeps me going. And of course, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. If you don't know why people ask you to do that, it's not just uh, to accumulate followers. It's because often bookings or um, how much people pay you Will be um, will be dependent on how many follows you have online, so um, that's a reason to follow the acts that you like, the acts that you support, and of course go support Laura Davis. She is consistently funny, and her her most recent Mincemen tweet, which we talk about on the podcast, went viral. So that's that's just a fun thing to look at. All right, I'm gonna let you go. You go, and I will talk to you again next week. And thank you for listening. And you're having tea with Alice. Hi, and what are you drinking? Sorry. Hello, who are you and what are you drinking? <laughs> Hello, what are you drinking? Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a drink. I left it down there. I should get it. Um, I'm drinking some cold tea that I, the dregs of some cold tea that I made this morning. Uh, that's how I drink my tea. I make about three litres of it in the morning in the massive coffee jug. And then I drink it cold 
until it's disgusting which is usually about two in the morning do you leave the leaves in or do you take the leaves out is it at the strength Um, the same strength all day or does the strength vary yes so i i make it uh with two big tea bags in the morning take them out and then that's carried up the stairs and that's my fluids for the day I mean, otherwise it would be extremely tanniny by the evening. Yes. It's sort of a strategy I've, I've developed uh, because I would probably have some sort of a attention deficit and if I leave to go and make a cup of tea, I don't come back. So it, it has to be there <laughs> ready to go. Yeah, I I feel like maybe I have that as well. Certainly I was a very daydreamy kid. I think there might be a few people in comedy who are like that, people who are Mm -hmm. ideas people who get really absorbed in a particular idea or a particular thing. But then, yeah, it's quite easy to, I, I often say like I can't multitask. I can't even listen to music and do something else at the same time. Mm. It's sort of one thing or another and it's an odd feature somebody said that sounds like attention deficit disorder but i'd never thought of it like that because it's not a deficit of attention it's a it's a sort of an Mm. something of attention it's definitely to do with attention but well hyper focus is one of the symptoms of attention deficit is you get sucked right down in the rabbit hole of one thing and you sort of hyper focus on that and it's really difficult to break but you also sort of burn yourself out like once you are getting dopamine reward from a task, then you can't unplug. Yeah, and I always found it a sort of a, a feature of if I'm watching something with somebody and they try to make conversation through it, I find that so <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> I mean, unless that's the game, unless that's the game that we're making jokes about it and that's the, the game that you go in with and that's the plan, yeah. I can do that if that's the fun thing that we're going to watch something and make <laughs> comments. But if I'm watching something and someone pauses to make a comment or tries to get my attention from it, it feels physically uncomfortable. Interesting. I it's drive like they've James. just flicked me in the ear or something. It's really upsetting to me, <laughs> disproportionately upsetting to how bad the offence is. I can't watch something for very long so I drive James nuts because uh, we'll put something on on Netflix and particularly a film or anything long and I really want to watch it it's really good I'm really enjoying it but I'm done in 20 minutes and so <laughs> I, w- I want to watch you know a 120 minute video over six days <laughs> yeah it's so interesting how the mind works and then of course I don't think it needs to be pathologized at all because people's minds work differently Mm. but it's it's so fascinating to me that there are people who can just sit down and do a thing that they've planned to do (laughs) that's yeah imagine my curse uh, my curse seems to be that I can't focus properly until 5 p.m Ah, interesting. See, like I can. I don't know if it's. I can do. I, I don't know. Focus as long as there's a deadline. Quite mm. soon. Yes, I just I find it very hard to wake up and get started on something. I need 
need a long run up <laughs> and then I'm good. I'll still do eight hours, but I'll do it, you know, five to one in the morning rather than nine to five. That's amazing. I think my attention shorts out at about 10 p.m., except in Edinburgh. Edinburgh, all rules are off, right? You just have to be able to it's do a gig a at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's just a mess. <laughs> so you've just put out an album, which is pretty wild given that there are no audiences or there were no audiences when you recorded it. Yes, I thought I would lean into my strength there and... I feel like I have performed, I, I say this in it, of I have performed to two people loads of times and there's no guarantee that those two people were even listening. So I feel like I'm quite experienced at performing to nobody. Uh, and One of my favourite lines in, is in it, um, one of my favorite lines that you say is, and I'm not going to quote this right, so you can tell it back to me uh, the correct way that you say, you might think this is weird, but you are vastly underestimating how good I am and also how unpopular, something like that. Yeah, uh, you're, you're underestimating my talent, overestimating my popularity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I sort of don't like it when people quote my jokes at me badly, but you, I loved it. It was a very beautiful turn of phrase and uh, I listened to your album twice yesterday. So if anyone is listening to this, uh, you should definitely download it almost immediately afterwards. And it's, you've got the different pricing on it as well, so it's not prohibitive yeah, for anyone. Yeah, I, I like to, to sort of... <laughs> I've priced it with what I think is fair in the middle and then what I will agree to at its cheapest and what would be nice at the most expensive. Uh, so depending on how you're going financially, you can make that call yourself. I wanted at one point to invent an algorithm that would you would just put in how much money you made in a year and then it would spit out the percentage price at the end of how much my comedy should cost you. <laughs> like it should cost point whatever of a percentage of your yearly income. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what yeah you, I think that's fair. But I think people wouldn't have gone for that necessarily. Well, yeah, it makes it, it, makes it interesting because I'm selling it internationally as well. So what is £5 for uh, the British is $10 for Australians and then, you know, it's nice to give people some options. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair as well. Uh, it is, I mean, performed in front of no audience. What did that... In a little cupboard. What did you have to shift? I had to shift some boxes first to get them out of the cupboard <laughs> and then I had to shift all of my husband's childhood up from the basement uh, and line and soundproof the cupboard under the stairs using... Uh, all his old soft toys, uh, you know, blankets, pillows, anything that had been sort of left over. Uh, and then uh, I sort of had to shift my patterns and rhythms and sort of tell the story and tell the jokes as though it's, it was interesting because I sort of had to perform as though I was performing to one person, sort of I tried to think of it you know, like you're doing it on the phone to somebody or something like that. Um, yeah, 
it, it was daunting at first because it's a tiny little soundproofed cupboard and it's dark. I've put some fairy lights in it, but it's still just a cupboard, you know, and I'm sitting and I'm, you know, I, it would have been nice to be able to stand or move around a bit. So trying to make it sound lively and engaging without it also being sort of loud and aggressive or grating. Yeah, I think you, know, you did everything. that remarkably well and then you added in this kind of soundscape which yeah, took the that, place that of was... the audience because I feel like with comedy the instrument you're playing is sort of the audience and you're mm. playing uh, essentially you're trying to play the same tune on different instruments every night and that's the challenge of doing comedy consistently and doing it well. And in the absence of, of that kind of back and forth with the audience you'd feel like there would be a kind of an empty space, but you've managed to put this kind of bed under it, this soundscape that really works. Yeah, that was uh, the producer, Ben Erickson. He's, he's an incredible comedy editor. Uh, he edited your Amazon special. Um, yes, so good. He's, he's very, very talented and really understands comedy. So it was so nice to work with him again. And, yeah, we were trying to work out what, what does it look like to make something that is its own genre? You know, re- releasing it as an audio book makes it not comedy. Doing it, you know, video recording it to my face in a cupboard or something like that doesn't work. You needed, you needed to fill that space and make it look like it was its own piece of work standing on its own little art feet. <laughs> And I, I think he did an amazing job of that because it was a story that led itself to some sort of soundscape ambiance anyway. I think it worked really well. Yeah, well, you performed it originally on the bus in Edinburgh and mm. that's a very thin-walled space in the middle of a thoroughfare, very. actually. It's a bus near a, near an underpass, basically, a walking <laughs> underpass and under an overpass more or less, yes. for cars. So you have cars, you have people, you have people flyering, yeah. you have music, you have everything entering your show in real life. So I don't... Absolutely. You would have had practice in that as well. Your your main job in a venue like that is to make it seem normal and then make it disappear. You want everybody to go in and go, oh, this is amazing. We're in a special thing and, you know, we're on a bus and I can hear all the sounds and, you know, the potatoes are cooking and <laughs> the bar downstairs is really loud and it's swaying as people get on and off but also focus and let's imagine we're not here let's imagine this is happening and please look at me and please listen to me and please don't smell the toilets <laughs> and please don't hear the buskers and please don't pay attention to the other people firing and yelling outside like please please look at me and it you have to be it, it helps because it's such a small space but you got to be big and really attention focused you know you have to make sure you're the most interesting thing that's going on yeah I I didn't have that muscle until I did Edinburgh and the first year I did Edinburgh was in the free fringe venue uh, which didn't have a door and I was doing Savage, so it was just this thing of how do I make everybody, like how do I magnetise everybody's mm. attention towards the stage? 
it's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, like attention and proportion. Because attention is the commodity now and what you pay attention to seems more important. Yes. So that's like an inevitable link up. But it means that, for example, you have these arguments about things that aren't that important proportionately, but the more you argue about them, the more important they seem. Yes, definitely. I find that on anything on social media, particularly I still have some, even though we're not in lockdown here, I still have that endless scroll addiction sort of going. and. Everyone says not to check the comments. I always I go straight. I go to the comments first. For I don't know why. It's just where I go first instinctively. And then I'm sort of watching people argue over like a countertop oven review, and I'm <laughs> like I'm I'm just in it. I'm in all comments, all reviews. Well, that's why they exist, it, right? Because we're a political species. <laughs> we're a gossip-based species. We know what we think because somebody told us, no matter what, like no matter how much we might think we're scientific and we check the data, most of the stuff we know because somebody told us, whether it's a scientist or a yeah. teacher or somebody on the street, it's very difficult for us to put those things, again, like in their proper place, give them the proportionate weight and, and weigh them up against each other. If somebody talks for five minutes and somebody else talks for five minutes, we will sort of think those two things are the same, even if one person is an expert and one person is a f- fucking idiot. Yes. <laughs> and that's why panel shows are a terrible idea. Um, and also should time people, give people the amount of time for the level of expertise. That's what they should do. Yeah. They should say, this professor can talk for 20 minutes and you, uh, shit-stirring radio shock jock, you get one minute to state your side of the case. You know? uh, I'd love to be a shit-stirring radio shock jock. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever come to pass. No, no. I feel like you might, um, you might have character traits that are inconsistent with that <laughs> job. What a shame. Your, I mean, your job there is just to say l- literally whatever will get a reaction and it doesn't matter what you believe and it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what, it, what the impact is, that's your job. Just reactionary, causing of reaction. Speaking of which, what have you been wrestling with? What have you been reacting to? Oh, bloody... All the time. Um, I've been wrestling. We just lost the house in the UK and that was and is still quite hard. Um, I think it is a genuinely very hard thing, but I still, I feel so lucky to not be uh, dead and everyone's going through such hard times that losing your house and contents is now... Well, we're still very fortunate, but it has been a little bit sad. <laughs> um, I'm going to Zoom pack up my house with the landlord. Um, she's going to go and tip out my underwear drawer onto the bed and uh, I'm going to get a photo of my underpants and I'll circle the ones I want to keep. And it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so going to... An elaborate process. And I wish that I could just say throw all of it out 
get fucked, fuck off. But there's still those objects that you would like to keep. And we did live there for a year. We did make it a home. And it's been one of my favourite comedy clubs, the one I started in in Perth closed down last week. And that was devastating because it, it feels like too many, there weren't very many places in the world where I would have felt completely at home but maybe four of those so far this year are now gone. Um, yeah, that made me just think you just sparked in my head a conversation I had with my dad yesterday. So my dad is a widower and he is being sort of uh, pursued, courted by a lot of ladies in his broadly in his age demographic because he's sort of very attractive in that way. Um, you know, he's a, a man, his children are grown up, he's got money and a house and he's very gentle and he's a Buddhist meditation teacher, he's well-educated, he's, a, you know, quite a handsome man for his age, all of that stuff. So these ladies come and they start these friendships with him and they invite him on picnics and all of this stuff. But often he says uh, they're divorced and he said it's really interesting because he has more sympathy now for these divorced women who can't stop talking about their ex-husbands, which isn't a particularly necessarily a good move if you're trying to court somebody, telling, telling them about your horrible ex. But uh, he said it's that loss. He understands it now as a widower because you have lost this shared experience. Yeah. Like that, that the relationship with one other person holds all of this knowledge that exists between you in jokes references the things that you say when a thing happens all of those comforts that become part of you uh, but only exist like a comedian with an audience only exist in the interaction between the two sides and so when you lose a location like that mm. or or you know it's not so much I'm the same as you I'm having to uh, pack up my flat in London remotely. It's 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 not that that postcard is particularly valuable or anything, but it's that you remember when you got it and you remember when you pinned it up and you remember what you said. Yeah. I have some uh, objects too which I have carried, not many obviously, you know, just in a tiny suitcase and everything, but objects that I have had and and took with me to the UK to go this is where I live. I'm taking my home things with me. You know, I'm taking my favorite coffee mug and I'm taking, uh, I, I took a pebble uh, and I took <laughs> uh, a couple of postcards, I think. And that's about it, you know. It's not loads. Um, but those are the things you put down as your anchors. And to abandon them feels like a betrayal of all the comfort that they have ever provided but if I don't have those postcards and that pebble and that coffee mug I'll never have a home again because it won't have the things that I had in literally everywhere that I've lived well it's also worse in that way of kind of what we were talking about of proportion and attention uh being significant that you know when you're a kid things have more weight because proportionately they're more of your life and they're more of your experience of life. So if something happens, a trauma as a child can 
shape your whole understanding of the whole world for the rest of your life. I know people in their 50s who are struggling with things that happened to them when they were three for five minutes, you know, because at that time it was such a weighty thing. And in the same way, if you're carrying a small suitcase, the things in it are a quarter Mm. of your life or, you know, the, the, the size of a, a pair of socks is proportionately a massive chunk of your. Yeah. And clothes that you go, oh, I won't feel that way that I feel when I wear that. I feel like, you know, I've, I've had a weird identity crisis the entire year now because I didn't travel with any of my clothes uh, so I've sort of had these, whatever we could pick up from the charity shop, whatever was laying around, you know, I don't want to buy anything expensive or new because I also know that I don't live here either. And, the, you know, I'll be on a plane again eventually. Uh, so, you know, particularly the first few months I got here and was walking around dressed like my husband going to a nightclub in 2003. <laughs> that was my outfit was whatever had been left behind enough times <laughs> usually usually presumably because it was reasonably expensive so he didn't want to throw it out or his mother didn't want to throw it out so it was but it's you know it's your good going out clothes from 2003 that they hadn't thrown out because they're good going out clothes even though they are from 2003 and then not particularly fashionable and do not particularly fit. (laughs) And then suddenly I'm walking around in the woods wearing like a brown leather jacket with massive lapels. (laughs) That was last worn when your husband brought up into the Yeah. Yeah. But now they carry that uh, significance for me. Yeah, it's it is an odd time that we're living in, and you know I know that yeah those things aren't important, mm. but they're also not nothing. Yes, I think just not being able to go home again without any warning. I I really do feel like I've locked myself out of my house for a year. Somehow, you know, I didn't leave with any intention to not come back. I left for a few weeks and then not only can't you go back, but it doesn't exist. And Yeah, I'd, I'd happily walk away from any of the things that are in the flat in London. I'd happily choose not to keep any of them. But to not have the choice yes. is somehow really bad. Yes. Yeah to not say goodbye or anything has been painful and all of you know we work really hard to build a little life there it's hard to move internationally it's hard to move to a city particularly somewhere like london where it's big and uh, sort of aggressive it's you know we work very hard to create little rhythms and routines and you know communities we met everybody in the neighborhood or the shopkeepers everybody who ran a cafe or anything like that we we went and spent time with and then just all right cool gone one of the weirdest ones for me is that so I was booked to fly back and my brother and his wife were also going to fly back I was booked to fly back for the festivals 
And then three days before my flight, all of the festivals were cancelled. And I was thinking, do I go? Do I stay? Do I go? My visa's running out at the end of the month. Do I want to be stuck here trying to renew it? Do I want to go home and be with my twin brother and his wife and his baby and my dad? Or do I want to stay here and with all the people here? And I had, I knew I wasn't going to be in the festivals. So I had my mum's banjo, which is of all the objects in the world, the only one that I couldn't walk away from. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that matters to me, right? And I was standing there and I was looking at it and I'd put some clothes in it and I thought, should I take this or should I not? And I really, I thought, no, I'm not going to take it. And then I just had this surge of anxiety of like, I don't want to leave it. Uh, And I brought it. But if I hadn't, I would be so upset right now. So every time I look at it, I have this like ghost misery. Yeah, it feels like having your house burned down. Um, So, yeah, you sort of saved it from... (laughs) Yeah, I saved it from the fire. So I have this like, oh, wow. It could, it could, I tossed a coin in my head. I was so close to just going, oh, I'll see it in a few weeks. I'll be back soon. And then it's been six months just. Yeah. So. Yeah, I feel I, with that way with the things I didn't take because I was going for six weeks mm. and uh, I was going to South Africa for two weeks, knew that I wouldn't need anything. And then I was going to Perth where my family lives and I would be able to pick up some of my old stuff and borrow it sort of you know take take my old clothes that are still in Perth go to Melbourne drop them back off in Perth like that's fine Uh, and also take anything you wanted back to London yeah with an empty suitcase so I flew with next to nothing (laughs) including my computer (laughs) hard drives all that sort of thing where you go I don't need a hard drive for six weeks you know anything I need you know I'll just find in my email downloads or something but never mind uh it still is very lucky yeah again super lucky um well we were going to talk about some other stuff but i we don't have time so we'll talk about mince man and then we'll go that's all i want to talk about anyway. we were going to talk about jermaine greer and jk rowling but i feel like those things are evergreen um they're not as good as mince man they're not as good as Mince Man. Uh, for the listeners who aren't aware of Mince Man, the global I'd sensation like that explain. is Mince Man, <laughs> Laura uh, did a tweet that went flippantly viral. And it was one of those things that you, you wouldn't have written as anything other than the kind of thing that you write. It's very the kind of thing that you would write. Just a, just a normal Laura observation phrased in that particular way. But it hit the zeitgeist how... right in the belly. <laughs> Yes, it was just a casual tweet about how uh, the butcher at the supermarket makes a little, they make little mounds of mints and put them in the butcher window and then there's always a little smiley face on one of the mincers. Uh, So there's a little mince man and I observed that uh, I have seen the mince man this year more often than my family because I do not live here I do not have family or friends here really. You know, I know a few people, but but not not loads. So Mince Man every day. I'm seeing Mince Man every day. I go to the supermarket every night just before it closes. Mince Man's always there. So I took a photo and I think it's it's over sixty thousand 
people at the moment plus other people on reddit and wherever it's been shared to on other platforms uh, so and funny. i went and told the butcher and tried to explain to him that his mints had gone viral and once i'd shown it to him and gotten it across how famous his mints is uh there's i'm posting a photo of it every day under the thread on my twitter um but he's he's doubled down on his mince efforts now he's he's he made two mints yeah i think he i think he he's found his purpose in them now that's pretty amazing i i think that's so i mean that's great and now you have a relationship with the butcher based on his now i have a mince friend his controversial mince art it's polarizing the mince very i mean it's horrifying no offense to mr very horrible listening to this but i yeah i and so the butcher seemed slightly disappointed when he saw that some people had not liked the mince but that that is okay you know you don't want your art to appeal to everybody you you don't want to make something universal you still want to be yeah, I think he would do. I think alienating twenty percent of the crowd is a real sweet spot. That's a great strike rate. That means you're doing something interesting mm. and and but groundbreaking. It's not, no one's neutral. Nobody's neutral. Nobody doesn't have an opinion. Nobody doesn't care. That's you're because either. it's such a thing to do. Who <laughs> looks at a pile of mints and thinks this needs a face, and not just I think that this mints should look happy about it. <laughs> Yeah, they're, such, they're quite, I guess they're quite anthropomorphic little blobs as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, this is what the world of emojis has given us, is the ability to really project an emotional state onto a pile of mints with a smiley face too, in it. I think, I think everybody is really lonely. Everybody is in lockdown. No one's seen their friends. And then along comes the hero we all needed. Which is a smiley little blob of mints that you can project exactly the right personality onto. I mean, that's what we all feel like right now. We all feel like mints, man. We are all mints. That's all we are. We're just mints. It's a big bag of stuff. Um, <laughs> we, we should wrap this up because I have to go and write frantically to a deadline. Um, so where can people find you online and more specifically what's your show called and where can they get it because they're going to immediately get it after this uh if they could go to lauradaviscomedy.com uh, and buy the bus show then that's a brand new album and there's a couple others up there it also has links to my twitter and uh mincemen etc you know all, all of my genres I mean, you could write a book on the strength of whatever 60,000 likes plus Reddit virality. You could publish a Mincemen book, which would just be pictures, a coffee table book of different Mincemen. Yeah, but I do feel some responsibility to the Mincemen now and the Butcher. Like, I do feel a little bit like, like those sort of exploitative agents who discover an unrepresented artist and sort of... <laughs> make them big and found comedy you know yeah you know those those photographers who photograph you know famous models and then print out 
coffee table books of their nudes that they never asked for permission because they own the copyright to the photo. But, you know, do they really own the copyright to the person? You know? Well, I'm sure you can, you can figure out a, an agreement. I can, I can consult oh, yeah. as a, as a, on the legalities of that. What are the ethics? I don't know New Zealand copyright law, but I'm sure I could figure it out. I don't want to be the colonel to a mince Elvis Presley. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me. I always Thanks like talking me. to you. I mean, we already talked for ages, but I always like having you on tea with Alice and I'll have you back again soon. Good uh, to have me on record. Do buy Laura's album. You're having tea Please. with Alice.